What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? Hi there, it's Paul, and you're listening to What the Footy, the football business podcast that goes behind the scenes and gives fans, industry experts, athletes, aspiring sports professionals, and more unrivaled insight into football, business, and how the beautiful game is evolving. Here is what I have lined up for you today. Stadium infrastructure is a key topic. Training facilities. We have the best athletes in the world. We have to have the best facilities in the world. I hope you love it. Not like it. I hope you love it. So if you're locked in and listening, give the pod a follow and a five-star review and tell a friend to tell a friend. Let's go. Knew some other guys liked me, but I didn't know it was to that extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school. Now it's important. Powerful people, and I think they need to recognise that. But then also, they need to be represented the right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know one single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. Let's just win this to appease the fan. Thank you for agreeing to do this. Really, really excited to speak with you. The NWSL, one of the fastest growing sports leagues in the world. So I'm really excited for you giving up your time to chat with me. The first question I ask all the guests is what is football to you, a business or a sport and why? Oh, probably, I guess, like many others have said, that's just my life. So I've always, as a young girl, uh, played uh, not knowing why, just running after the ball and, and being outside all the time, kicking the ball around. Um, and then it became my hobby as a player, uh, even for Switzerland on the national team. But it was at that time still a hobby. And then it became also my profession. So now I can say my life is football, more specifically women's football, actually. That's where I care. That's where I want to be involved. And that's what I, what I want to help grow. And um, it has given me everything, friends, um, culture, know-how, I've seen the world, I've learned so much, um, I've been inspired. So everything, probably part of what I am today is thanks to football. No, for sure, for sure. And you just prompted my, my next question, because what I was going to ask you is, obviously you played as well, you spent eight, over 18 years working at FIFA, you, you worked at FC Zurich as well, recently did, did a four-year stint at the Swiss FA. Um, just sort of talk to me about how those experiences have kind of helped and shaped what you're doing now at the NWSL and how they sort of helped you in terms of transitioning into this new role. Yeah, so just to clarify, my role at FC Zurich was a voluntary role. So I worked at FIFA at that time and in my spare time, I run a club. So that's uh, good old times, luckily, nowadays. That's no longer what people have to do and I'm happy for that. Yeah, you know, I mean... With with time, you you get older, all of us, and and you just add experiences. And I was lucky to to have a different area of experiences: some from running, from playing, from coaching, from running a club, um, to working at UEFA and FIFA, organizing women's World Cups, and and do development work all over the world. So every every job I had added more know how, more experience uh, to to my life, to me as a person, and to my professional career. And um, now being here in, in the States, working for the National Women's Soccer League um, as a chief sporting director, which is the first time the league has um, has this role and has a person for that role. So overall, it's really helping to make the league being the best league in the world, assuring that on and off the pitch, we have the best conditions for the players uh, and are attractive for all our stakeholders and partners. 
So with all my experiences and having seen so much and learned so much, um, I hope I, I can add with my know-how and expertise the right decisions. I'm a 100% believer that women's football needs women's football experts, men and women, ideally more women. But you need to be a women's football expert to take decision in women's football. And globally speaking, I think that's the biggest problem we still have today, that men's football experts, men's football organizations um, are running also women's football and and just you know, the wrong decisions are taken on that level. So I think with the expertise I have and all my colleagues here have, because we're the only independent professional women's football league. So all our people and staff, men and women working here are women's football experts or care about women's football and nothing else. So we we can, we just can together work to make this league the most successful league in the world. Now, that's really exciting. I think you joined the same time as the chief marketing officer and chief legal officer as well. Just talk to me about your remit, because I read that when they sort of announced you, you as being a chief sporting director, that one of the big things was distinguishing and sustaining the NWSL as the world's premier women's football professional soccer league. Just sort of talk to me about from your time and experiences at FIFA and really driving forward women's football, what what are the strategies and sort of plans that are needed to ensure that the NWSL is the number one destination for women's football players? Um, actually, we we do typical American. I think we we do believe we're the biggest and best league in the world. Um, with all my respect to everybody else, um, I guess on the sporting side, it's hard to measure. Uh, I think the, the the soccer football skills in these countries and, and the way of of the of the game and how how the games played here is slightly different to to Europe or South America and Africa. Uh, so there's a different playing style. Um, however, from a you know commercial point of view, acceptance, investment, um, numbers of spectators, uh, budgeting all together of of the league and the clubs all together um, with all the know how we have. I think it's fair to say we, we are the biggest um, league in the world and the most successful league in the world. Unfortunately, there's no club World Cup yet, so we, we don't know how, how club teams would perform if we would have our, let's say, uh, championship winning team uh, of last season, uh, which is Portland, play maybe against the Champions League uh, winning team of, of last or this season. So that would be a really interesting matchup. Then we would know on a sporting level which which country or which team is the best in the world. Um, but other than that, I think we're really uh, well off. And the uh, appointments you you mentioned, um, together with me and some others and many more others, the, the league staff grew over a year from when Jessica Berman, our commissioner, started a year ago. Uh, I think at that time it was about 18 to 20 people, and now we're 50 people just on the league running uh, a women's soccer professional league. So the investment is is huge. And that's uh, what is needed if you want to develop a, a product and commercialize a product and, and make sure it's it's actually um, there's a return on the investment. You need to invest first. And that's what we're doing right now here. Yeah. And, and even speaking about investment, because I've spoke to the different different people within women's football before. One of the big things everyone talks about is actually investing into the facilities and investing into the infrastructure. I think even just look at the NWSL, like a lot of the clubs are really taking that really seriously. Like, the Kansas City current obviously invested a lot of money into a new training facility and investing a lot of money into a new into a new exclusive stadium. Just just sort of talk to me how you've seen it, even in the short space of time that you've been there since the start of this year, how you've really seen investment in, into infrastructure. 
Yeah, it's it's amazing what I've uh, had the privilege to experience here is something I've uh, never seen before. And uh, was uh, even though you're aware, you you only understand when you're here and you see it firsthand and and in real time. Uh, it's it's just a, a totally different um, environment compared to Europe, I, I would say, and that's why I know we can compete with the best teams. Um, it, it's we're not there yet with all the teams, and it's it's a development phase. But as you mentioned, Kansas City Current is is amazing. They have built an own training site facilities already. We visited it last week. It's it's just amazing. Just for the women's team, they have their own dressing rooms, gym, ice bath, um, kitchen, cafeteria, massage, you know, medical facilities, uh, four or five pitches, an artificial pitch, a natural grass pitch. It, it's just like any other uh, major men's football. Uh, training academy it's it's the same for them and they're building right now a new stadium which will be ready next spring um just the women's football specific stadium where kansas city current will play their their home matches at the same time we have seen similar things with um, as an example san diego uh, waves when they started uh, into to come to the league they changed their stadium last year and went to the snapdragon stadium in san diego and since then the number of spectators has just increased massively and I was personally there last um, Saturday when they played Angel City FC and uh, attracted a crowd of twenty-five thousand. So, you know, if you if you ask what what are some of the key differences in in that league, then or you know, as as a recommendation for basically everybody, if you want to grow women's football and and the club landscape, you need to go to the big stadiums. Um, and I remember. Even years ago, when we said you, we need to go to the big stadiums, people would say, yeah, but you only attract a certain number of people and then the atmosphere is not good in the stadium and it hurts you and it harms the game. And, you know, it's one of these excuses. Every time you want to do something, you hear, wow, this is not working. I mean, in my 30 years in women's football, every time we had a proposal, we were told why this is not working. But nobody ever would say what we could do to make it work. And now with history, we know that everything we said was right or almost everything. Um, people just don't believe in it. They don't see it because they're in men's football and then they don't see the potential of women's football or just limited. And you have to have the big picture and the big vision. And here in the US, we have that because we're independent and people working with us or investing in our teams and in the league, they see it because they believe it. And I think that's the big difference to Europe. No, for sure. And I completely agree on that point about the big stadium, because even over here in the last couple of years, we've seen a lot of the the sort of derby matches, the Man United versus Man City, Arsenal versus Tottenham actually happening in the big stadiums, drawing in crowds. And that's really helped to, to encourage people to have more of an appetite to go, yeah, to, go to games. Yeah, it's all about, you know, it's, it's awareness, it's acceptance, it's, it's product placement, it's fan engagement, how to create a an attractive environment for people to come back um, to experience uh, a fantastic match in a, in a great atmosphere with all the you know facilities in terms of merchandising uh, or hospitality. You just need that environment. You know that's what an elite football product looks today. And we don't want to compare ourselves with men's football all the time on a sporting and product point of view. However, how to develop a business. That has a lot to do with how men's football has developed. So if 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 they play in big stadiums and attractive, uh, you know, playing times and media spots and and have just the whole setting, you need to offer the same to to the women's teams. Otherwise, you, you come across like um, a secondary category, and that's what we don't want. No, for sure, and, and and just even in terms of the clubs specifically themselves, obviously, some clubs have um, will obviously have like a GM or sporting director who kind of oversees 
that sort of medium to long term strategy? How how often are you sort of sitting down and meeting with these people, or is it them that you're specifically meeting with to really drive the league forward together as as a collective of clubs? From my point of view, in our areas as a chief sporting director, I have uh, monthly calls with all head coaches. We have uh, monthly calls with all general managers and or sporting directors. Um, so every team has a general manager. Not all of the teams have sporting directors. Uh, but we we have a, a regular exchange. Um, we even have from our you know officiating referee, uh, referee point of view, it's it's run through an organization called PRO Pro. Uh, even with them, just yesterday we have also monthly calls, including the players. So all team captains for all from all the teams are involved in those um, sessions to to talk through referee decisions and create on both sides a better understanding. So we do are we, we are in regular contact. Uh, we have a competitions committee where we have uh, board member representatives from six teams. Uh, we have the, the, that uh, committee meets biweekly. We have a technical task force with experts from the teams also on a biweekly basis. So you can see that we are just on a sporting side. We are in a very close contact and exchange with the teams. Yeah, and, and even just speaking speaking on that point with the GMs and the sporting directors there, what what for you is almost that next wave of thing that's kind of really needed to really grow it's like to really to really grow to really grow the NWSL and football out there as well. Because obviously I noticed as well that not every single team in the NWSL has an academy, for instance. Is it is it really encouraging them? Like what's the number one advice you're really giving them when you're having those calls for them to implement based on what you've seen work? in previous roles when, when you were over here in Europe? Yeah, it's, I, I really can't pick one topic uh, because the league is so specific. And give me 10, give me 10, give me 10. 10? Okay, that's <laughs> <easier>. <laughs> so what we're working on, uh, I can tell you that easily. So we're, given the, the US sports landscape and our rules are different, you know, we are a single entity league as, as most of your followers and listeners will hopefully understand. So we work on the salary cap rule. Um, we do have a salary cap on our team, which is so um, instrumental for our competitive balance. That's our biggest strength. This league is so competitive and you never know which team will win the league. Right now, our league has 12 teams. And I think that's amazing. If we compare ourselves with European teams, then as you know, all the leagues in Europe have a maximum of four teams who can win the championship, if, if not only two. Uh, and here you really don't know. So that's great. Uh, but to keep that, we're working on salary cap. Uh, we're talking about reserve team, um, expanded rosters for uh, for some player development issues, of course. We do talk academies. Uh, however, um, we're rather conservative on that topic because it's a huge investment. If you want to do a proper academy, you're probably talking millions a year. Uh, and this country is so big with such a diverse landscape on, on the soccer football area that we, we take that a bit slow. But we will definitely look into scouting players, developing players, elite player pathway together with U.S. soccer, who is the overall governing body. And, you know, their interest is to have a successful U.S. women's national team. So they have to have strong, and good players. And, the you know, the development in Europe is massive right now. So we have to make sure the U.S. stays on top of of, of the ranking. For that, we have to invest in better player development. Uh, that's clear. And our teams, the NWSL, has to play a, a role in that. We're looking at international competitions, as I mentioned before, due to a lack of a FIFA Women's Club World Cup. We we want to compete with the best in the world. Our um, continent here is, is, is not as broad as in Europe. Uh, we have Mexico, Canada. 
with uh, some strong football background. And then, of course, it's it's more into the development area of the other nations. So we need to have those competitions with European teams or South American teams. So we're working on that. Uh, and then there's some more, I would say, league-specific rules uh, we're looking at, like our transfer mechanism is, is, is a bit complicated. The entry into the league is a bit complicated. And if we want to attract the best players of the world, we, we do have to make sure there is a way for everybody, national and international. And at the same time, um, we want to be attractive for the best players in the world to come and play here. And I think we're we're super attractive. We have to make sure everybody knows that. Um, take the the fear away from this uh, strange American league uh, and bring, bring our know-how to Europe and make sure we have a good exchange to make sure we do have the best players here as well. No, for sure, for sure. And, and just unpacking some of that, I've previously spoke with sporting directors, uh, M- MLS clubs and USL clubs, USL clubs as well. And one thing I always, always want to find out from them is getting, getting your head around the number of rules with from allocation money to salary cap. Just sort of talk to me, obviously from your perspective, obviously being within the being within the league itself, you're you're obviously right across the rules and stuff. But how do you find it is from a from a perspective of actually updating and making sure that the, the GMs and the sporting directors at the individual clubs are really hot on hot on the rules and the regs? Yeah, I mean that's in a way their own responsibility, right? If if you run a club and and you work in a club, you you need to understand the rules and and the rules are um, coming from Europe, very strange. Um, however, for for an American sports person, it's totally normal. So uh, if I'm wondering about the draft, then people here love the draft. Uh, it's just the way you uh, this country has been operating in the past in the sports landscape, and and it's totally seen as something which is normal and the right thing to do. And um, from my perspective, looking at the competitive balance, I do actually see a lot of benefits in how this league is run. As I mentioned before, this is our biggest strength and it's certainly something we want to keep. So it's finding the balance between uh, keeping our rules and, and the system as it is um, to make sure we, we do have the, the strongest league from a competitive point of view. And as you know, we will be adding teams. So two more teams are coming in next season, potentially uh, two more teams by 2026, which will make this league a 16-team league. Um, so player pathway and entry mechanism into the league are key. Uh, of course, top players is key. Um, people want to see uh, want to see the stars. We 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 see that in the ticketing numbers. Uh, as an example, San Diego with Alex Morgan attracts just always the biggest crowds. So people want to see Alex Morgan, and we have to make sure we do have the future stars, the U.S. women's national team stars, as well as some of the international top stars. Um, to have them play here in this league. So we need to look at recruitment of players, transfer of players, and making sure we are attractive if enough for those players to come. Um, so we will definitely look at some sort of entry mechanism into the league to make sure there's no barriers for top players to come and play here. No, for sure. And even speaking of top players, I, I believe 25 to 30% of players in the NWSL are going to be playing at the World Cup how important is this number to you and in increasing that number and, uh, and and really driving that forward for years to come? It is it is important to us. We want to be the best league. We want to have the best players. So obviously um, we would not uh, achieve that goal if none of our players would be at the Women's World Cup. Uh, so to have uh, that that sort of number represented is, is great. 
Uh, we do have a, a high number of different national uh, nationals in in our league playing, which is also great. Gives us a good, you know, interesting international, interesting value for for all those continents and countries to look at our league. In our goal to be a bit more uh, out in in the international market, this is great. But we also know that from uh, I think from one of the lists, ESPN did the top fifty players, female football players list in the world, and we had uh, only a very limited number. Uh, of those players were actually playing playing in the NWSL. So there's two solutions to that. Either we do not have the best players uh, or um, people are not aware of how good our players are, which I think both is true. Uh, I do think the NWSL is a bit underrated in the global landscape in terms of our success stories and, and um, how competitive we are, how good it is for a player here. I would actually go as far as I would say every player coming to this league um, becomes a better player just because of the competitiveness uh, and the challenges. And if you're surviving here and if you're developing here, then you probably went through the hardest league and the hardest environment. So that makes you a better player. I would not say the same for any other country. It depends which team you go. Here, with all fairness, I can say it doesn't matter which team you go, you, you become a better player. Um, so, yeah, I think we, we we are proud of having those numbers of players at the Women's World Cup, but at the same time, we lack some of the top, top, top players and we will find out how we can make sure they come here. Yeah, that's quite interesting that you mentioned that because I was looking at the the uh, 100 best players based on, on the ranking and I think it was only Alex Morgan that was that was the only NWSL player in, I believe, the top 20. But then quite interesting enough, you have players in there like Lucy Bronze, for example, who made the journey through the college system. I don't think she was on the list, but Alessia Russo as well, who's obviously now going to be leaving Man United, who obviously made her way through through, through the college system. Yeah, you know, this list, as I said before, um, I mean, no disrespect to all of these players, but it's subjective who is on that list. And, you know, Russo is a great player and, and we will see how she develops now wherever she goes. Uh, I think it's Arsenal, if I'm right. Uh, we will see where she goes. But um, I think we have some players who can comp- compete with Russo, but, but they're just not as known. Um, it's it's just uh, the lack of, again, as I said, the lack of the global media landscape understanding our league and knowing our league. And women's football is developing fast in Europe. That's where That's where the basis and the heart is. And with the time difference and, and, and all of that, I really think there's a lack of know-how of our league in Europe and some of our players. Um, and that that will hopefully change in the near future. Yeah, and just link to that before before we go on to the next part. I wanted to ask <laughs> because because of your because of the the, the nature of the league and, and the, the way the league is growing so fast, is a lot of your role not even just focusing on purely the sporting aspects, but also working alongside Jessica and the CMO there to really think of creative commercial ways? Because like you kind of mentioned there, like media rights, I believe the media rights are currently being reviewed, like having good media rights, having good sponsors, having good partners also drives the side that you're working on, which is the sporting side as well. Yeah, um, totally. I mean, uh, as you said before, one of the colleagues starting with me here, Julie Hannon, is our chief marketing officer. And, and I mean, she's amazing. Um, her track record and her history in sports and what she's done is 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 unbelievable to me. And and I think it's it's another sign of how strong and successful this league is that somebody like Julie Hannon actually decided to work with us and, and invest her time and efforts into this league uh, because she sees the potential 
because she knows it's going to be great and massive. And, and we feel sometimes like a startup mode. We're at the beginning of, of a, a wonderful journey, which will, will be amazing. And we, you know, we're, we feel like we're part of it and we can shape it and we can influence it. And that's what, what makes this job right now and working for this league so attractive. It's, it's where our heart is. And at the same time, we can decide by ourselves what's best for the women's game. And that is the single most important um, reason why this league is successful and why I think in Europe there will be continue, you will continue to have issues and challenges because you don't have that set up. Uh, as long as Viva, Weva, the FA, uh, speaking now for England, uh, takes all the decisions. And actually, I think England and the FA is probably the only nation, uh, national associations in Europe where I think they've really done the right things in the last 10 years. Um, so I wonder, you know, where are the others? Uh, where's Germany? Where's France? Where's Spain? Um, you know, the big ones who have so much potential to to drive the elite game. They're they're very conservative. They do good things, but very slow and very conservative because they don't see the big picture. And we we have a different setup here. So um, I don't know if that answers your question, but I think the know-how, the expertise, the women's football specific environment that we. The only thing we, we think about is women's football. And we realize that our partners and stakeholders, like in the media landscape, our commercial partners, um, our you know campaigns, um, everything we do or our teams are doing is, is with all our hearts and investment and know-how about women's football. And that drives the growth. And that makes people to believe in us and to buy in and to come and watch the game and to buy tickets and merchandise. Uh, which all of that creates a much higher media value, which we will see when we've done our deals. But I think uh, it looks very positive that this will be such a change from the past. And and that is because there's a right business plan behind. No, for sure. No, for sure. I think that's, that's super useful. I think one thing I wanted to ask you as well, is I think the big thing that I think for a lot of people and, and even partly myself as well, that, that, that has got me so excited about the NWSL was actually seeing a lot of prominent athletes and celebrities, whether that's Serena Williams, Patrick Mahomes, Natalie Portman, actually invest uh, invest into, into NWSL franchises. Just talk to me about how you almost view that revolution and what your interactions have been, been like with some of these owners and investors that you've interacted with from the footballing and sporting aspect. Yeah, I mean, I, I always have to put a little bit of a, you know, um, reserved comment on this because it's only six months I'm here. Um, so I, I don't think it's, it's appropriate to have a, 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 a final opinion on that. Um, I, I'm also still learning. However, what I really feel, um, is that the social environment for women's football is really what's striving. Um, I'm, I'm a bit sad to say, but I don't think that. The football governing bodies were the ones driving the growth of the women's game. What we see nowadays, it's because of social and cultural drive. And then when, you know, that pushed, that pushed media and sponsors and clubs to do more. And then the governing body realized that, oh, wow, there is actually something we need to do. And then they started to do more. Um, in, and in this context, the U.S., uh, a is definitely probably in the driving seat just because women's football has a different history here, has a different awareness and has certainly a, a different acceptance and has been the best team in the world for ever since women's football exists, basically, and women's World Cups are organized. They have always been the best, if not one of the well, one of the best or the best countries in the world. 
And and as you know, you know, people like Mia Ham were heroes, and and then there were other players following um, this generational uh, historic team with with Abby Wambach and and then Megan Rapinoe, of course, and Alex Morgan and all these players. And because they had to fight so much, and Title IX existed in this country, and the Billie Jean Kings and the culture and everything, they were more vocal. They were stand up, standing up for their values and for diversity and equality. And and they had all rights, and they won some of the lawsuits recently with regarding equal pay and so on. So there's a there's a strong belief in the women's game, and it has a, it has never had this um, view of being attached to men's game or being the little sister to the men's game or being you know the undervalued whatever add on. It has always had its own entity and its own um, product and its own um, ambassadors. And what I said at the beginning, that the social uh, cultural environment is driving the growth, that's the same here. Because it's independent, everybody who loves women's sports, who wants to support women's sports, who has, you know, own kids, um, girls and boys, who want them to grow up in a different environment, uh, who want them to believe in equality and diversity, which is such a big topic today in, in you know, in society and definitely in the younger society, they want to see that. They want to help supporting that. And they see in the women's football product, we're having a huge um, asset to to invest and to support and to be part of this movement. Um, and they see, they see also the business case. It's clearly the growth of the league and the recent, um, the Bay Area FC, and, and as you as you know, the um, the investment there to enter the league is 53 million US dollars just to enter the league. Um, so th- there is such a, a strong belief from people outside of men's football. If they would want to be in men's football, they would be. They have the money to be there. It's billionaires. It's millionaires. But they don't want to be there for whatever reason. But in the women's game, they see values they want to support. They want to be part of. And they see the business case because fundamentally they want to make money at the end of the day. And and that's why they are here. And that's why why we see this this movement and that's why I think these players and the vocal players are standing up for their values is is so so crucially important and it's great to have wonderful ambassadors doing that. So nice, it's really it's really exciting and fascinating. And just on some wider wider sort of football business questions, there obviously you mentioned and we mentioned for obviously BFC uh, going to be coming to the league. I think Utah are going to be coming back in. There's talks about Boston, yeah. Boston potential and other locations in the future as well. The franchise valuations are going up. The entry fees are going up. Just talk to me as as exciting as it is. What are also the challenges that come with it in terms of your your remit and your responsibility and your roles as well? Um, not only specifically my role, but overall as a league, we we really have to make sure this whole package um, fits well together. Uh, adding new teams, it's not just about who pays the highest uh, fee to enter the league. Uh, it's really we, we're looking at uh, a couple of different elements which are crucial for the f- you know future growth and and the success of the league. So whoever uh, wants to join the league, uh, infrastructure we found out is is a huge topic. Uh, as we spoke about it before, the stadium needs to be a, a top class modern football stadium. It's there's no way we will play like in a in a little countryside um, average. A stadium. Um, owning those stadiums is really important. We have massive uh, issues with scheduling our our matches because we don't own those stadiums in most cases. We're second or third tenant 
we have to wait for the MLS to appoint their matches and then we can pick whatever is available around that. So having more access, owning, owning more stadium rights would be crucial. So any new team, stadium infrastructure is a key topic, training facilities. We have the best athletes in the world. We have to have the best facilities in the world. Uh, there's no way, you know, um, that the facilities, the training center is not up to standard. And not all of our teams are uh, world class right now, I would say, but in the recent years and in the future years, that's where we put our emphasis. So, you know, training pitches, gym, medical treatment, um, nutrition, as I said before, massage, physiotherapy, uh, all of those things, uh, classroom, media facilities, ice baths, all of that. It's just that has to be a standard setup, access to pitches at any time and not after the men. So that's just, that's the standard for us. Uh, then also the market, any new team, What's the what's the market possibilities, fan engagement, ticketing, spectator in, in the area? Um, that that is another one. Um, and then also probably the, the investment model. So um, are these people ready to invest? Because that's what we need. This league is still in an investment mode. Uh, we, we need um, we need people to invest. And um, so that means a certain financial stability and potential. Uh, so these are the three key elements we're looking at in expanding expanding and adding new teams. No, that's super useful. But last question for the podcast is what the footy needs to change or happen within your space? I don't know. That's maybe not so inspirational, but just because I had a meeting this morning about that topic, I would love women's football globally to have a much better decision-making possibilities. With everybody I talk out of the women's football world, we are suffering for wrong decisions of the governing bodies. And we feel like we're not moving quickly enough for players' health, for um, you know the growth of the game, for uh, the whole financial model of the game to, to make sure we're growing commercially uh, sustainable and successfully because we cannot, we are not part of the of the decision-making positions. So I would love the fact that everybody in this game, from FIFA to confederations to, to national associations to men's, big men's clubs, realizes that women's football is not men's football and we need women's football-specific experts to take decisions and not men's football experts or no experts at all. We want women's football experts to do women's football properly, avoid mistakes which have been made in a men's game, um, and make sure we're growing the right way with our players at heart, with their voices, with their health um, respected, to make sure we, we grow that game. And we cannot do that because we have no voice. So I would love the fact, like uh, like in tennis almost, you know, with a... ATP and, and WTA and, and just have a women's football specific forum for, for growth, expertise, know-how and decision-making. No, that's super useful. Tatiana, thank you very much for your time and coming on the What The Footy podcast. This is actually the last episode of the first sort of half of the year before we're back again later in the year towards September. So thank you for agreeing to this and so much insights. Thank you. Thank you for having me and thanks for doing it. It's it's great. Thank you for listening. I hope you loved it. And if you did, give the pod a follow and a five-star review and tell a friend to tell a friend. Let's go. What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? What the footy?
knew some other guys liked me, but I didn't know it was to that Imagine extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school, now it's important. Powerful people, and I think they need to recognise that, but then also they need to be represented the right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know, one single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. So when in the league, let's just win this to appease the fans.